Welcome everybody to the AJ Osborne Show, where we focus on our core tenets, impact, freedom, and progress. Join me and others as we grow through education and discussion. Welcome, everybody, to the AJ Osborne podcast. I am so excited because today's podcast, I have an in person guest. That's right. He's actually sitting here with me, which is totally different. <laughs> so I'm really excited about it because uh, mostly we're always doing things on Zoom. But I was on Justin's podcast. It must have been about a month ago, about a month ago, three weeks ago. Yeah, yeah, three weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, he just moved here to where I live in the Treasure Valley, the Boise area. And so I called him up and said, let's do a podcast together. So you got to come down and thanks for coming here, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, this is super exciting. I've never done an in-person interview either. And um, you know, I tried to do a few, but then COVID got in the way and it, it didn't yes. quite work out. People were afraid to come in and this is awesome. I feel like I was telling you off air. I feel like it's Joe Rogan. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> we're there. We're, we're there. there. <laughs> yeah. About 15 million downloads a day. Exactly. <laughs> oh, so, you know, before we get into everything, why don't you give people a little bit of background, you know, what you do and, uh, uh, then we can kind of talk about from there, what brought you here and everything else. Yeah. So <clears throat> currently I'm in full-time real estate mode. Um, I worked in the utility industry for the last 13 years as a lineman, and I was w- working down in Northern California. Um, you know, doing the line work thing is is fun when you're single and don't have a bunch of kids. And uh, as you progress and you get kids in life, you don't like working all the overtime, the weekends, the storms come in. So I kind of progressively started to get into real estate, started in 2009, um, bought my first single family house. Um could have went much faster because a lot of people, you know, in that amount of time have like yourself, uh, a huge empire. Um, <clears throat> but I went a little bit slower, bought my first house, flipped it, bought a second house and a rental, then some duplexes and some more single families. And, um, now I have, uh, just 12 rental units and sold my last six properties down in California. And that's kind of like enabled me between cash flow and then the capital that I made off of selling all the properties. I can kind of step away for a little bit from line work and then try to go a different direction. So that's what led me here to the Boise area. And um, yeah, it's working out great so far. A little bit slower than I would like, you know, when I'm used to just like go, go, go. And all of a sudden I'm like, how do I figure all this out on my own? You yes. know, without <laughs> somebody telling me what to do every day. Yeah. Um, that transition is really hard. Yeah. Like, and I don't think people understand it. They think maybe it's like, oh, I'm investing. And then just one day I stop. Mm-hmm. And there's so much that goes into it, both, I think, mentally, mm-hmm. right? Both understanding of purpose, how do I scale? How do I move it past from here? And two, I mean, maybe not for you, but I think in general, it's nerve-wracking. And yeah. it's like, you know, if I stop doing this thing that I have a skill set in, because being a lineman, I don't know for any of you that know what linemen do or something. I mean, first of all, it's a really cool job, but it's a good job and it's very specific skill set. Yeah. It's not like, you know, there's actual colleges. We have one here, the lineman mm-hmm. college that you have to go to. So you are very adapt to make good money at that job. Yeah, no, that's definitely, that's a hard thing. And one of the things why I got into real estate to begin with, because I went into to line work into the field, I actually went to the lineman college in 2007. And, uh, you know, I was young, I was just turned 20. Um, <clears throat> I don't have any other skills. You know what I mean? I was so focused on that for so long that I always wanted to do something else, but I didn't know what else to do because I, I literally didn't know anything to do. And I was just thinking, well, you know, I kind of understand real estate. I've done some construction in the past. So let me just jump into that avenue and I can fix things myself and that sort of thing and buy rental properties and hopefully transition into a career in that down the road. And that's kind of, uh, how I got here. Um, and where the, are you investing? Cause you, you had houses in California, but then you sold them. Yeah. So where are your houses now? Are they here, here in the Treasure Valley? Yeah. Here in, here in Idaho, actually in Mountain Home, uh, the ones right. I have, um, I have owned two other properties here in, in the Valley, one in Eagle and one in Meridian, but, um, sold the Eagle one. Um, that was just my own house. Um, I should have just kept it as a rental, but uh, it just didn't work out that way, you know. The um, it's a good time to be selling <laughs> things right now. Yeah, exactly. So, um, you you touched a minute ago though on like the mental side of it, going from <clears throat> a full time job, kind of like what a lineman is, not a football player lineman. If anybody's wondering that, because I'm not that big, <laughs> uh, working on power lines. But the mental side of it, 
was is tough for me and it's probably at the hardest point right now because I actually left back in July. So now we're in January or February. Um, but I left on baby leave cause I was having a new baby. So I ended up getting like six months off and most of that was paid time between COVID off and all this stuff. Um, so my official end date was just about a month ago, beginning of January. Well, then all of a sudden it hits me, you know, my insurance is gone. That paycheck's gone. Like I can never go back to that job, which is good on one hand, but on the other hand, it's like, well, Lyman can make, you know, four or 500 grand a year working all the overtime. And that was all you got to do is show up to work. You know, yeah. you just like work weekends, work nights, and you'll make that much money. Um, so mentally it's like, man, uh, it's just, everybody's new goal is to become a lineman. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it takes a lot though. Yes. You know what I mean? It's like oh, yeah. all the way, always away from your family, always working storms. So, um, mentally it's just kind of tough, uh, not having that and figuring out now I got to like make money out of thin air. Um, but it's exciting. It's good so far. Uh, yeah. yeah. You know, it's, it's funny though, too, because as I found, you know, same thing kind of happened to me as I was kind of nursing my job, so to speak, mm-hmm. right, in the insurance world where I just didn't want to give it up. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a same thing, high-paying job, right? I was running a uh, whole area. I mean, but not so much even about the money as it was that that's what I knew. Mm-hmm. Like that's – it, it exactly. becomes like your identity. It's like this is how I directly associate income with. Mm-hmm. And this is the skill set or the value that the market has put on this service, this knowledge, and what I do. Um, and so, leaving that, it, it, it's more than once again losing the money. Mm-hmm. It starts to question do because you don't have that correlation with activity and knowledge to directly give that income. Mm-hmm. Whether that can happen, or more importantly, too, whether it's worth it. Yeah. Right. So for me. You know, kind of like you, you know, it took a, you, you took a time off, but it was forced into it. Mm-hmm. I'd uh, lost my job because I came paralyzed and they came, fired me in the hospital. <laughs> Not fired me. I don't say that. Everybody yeah. knew I wasn't working again. Yeah. So um, I lost my job and uh, it was one of those moments like you, I can't get that job back necessarily. Or if I did, it would be starting over. It would be so, the pain would be so big with it that I'm going to really, this has got to work. We got to do this. We had money, obviously, because of our real estate portfolio and stuff. So it wasn't a necessity. Mm -hmm. And this is what was interesting for me. I didn't need it. Right. But yet it was still hard. Um, And it was hard coming out from an idea identity perspective. And a lot of this is things that people don't ever talk about. Mm -hmm. It's like a straight line formula. You meet X income, you leave, but then they forget to mention you meet X income from your portfolio or your real estate and you leave. Well, now you're making 50% of what you were just making. Yeah. Because (laughs) that income's gone Mm -hmm. and that income supports you to reinvest capital back into real estate. That income gives you health benefits and there's these ancillary products in life that those jobs and things pay for um, and you're now missing it. So now you got to figure out how to do more with little, Mm -hmm. but you have more time. So then it becomes really, for me, about thinking not only bigger, but working smarter Mm -hmm. and being more efficient with the time that I had and the resources that I had, because you're forced into a position where efficiency of capital and time is extremely important because Mm -hmm. your time does cost money. And you were getting paid previously for that time. Now that is coming off your investment that was more passive Mm -hmm. before, and it was just profit. Now it's not. That's associated with the living standards. Um, and I, I don't know, maybe a lot of people are like, duh, that's a no-brainer. But I, I don't think it is. I really don't. No. I don't think people really think about that. They say, okay, if I make $40,000 a year and I get you know 12 houses paying me rental income, at that I quit. And then all of a sudden there's all these other things, 401k, life insurance, medical. Um, you've got kids. Now you need braces. Now you have um, lifestyle creep. You have inflation. And maybe your lifestyle creep isn't keeping up with your passive portfolio. Well, now I need to reinvest that capital into more, but yet I'm also living on that capital. So now what do I do? Now I got to pivot. Now I got to shift. Now I need investors, right? That's what happened to me. All of a sudden, I'm like, okay, now I got to get investors. Now we got to build. I got to make it even bigger mm-hmm. because of the position that I was at. All things that I hadn't I mean, I thought through them. I and once again, I was in a totally good spot. I'm not in any way, shape, or form complaining or saying it was horrible, but it's a big change and challenge. And, and a lot of people, it's 
for me, it's not like you're losing a job and you have to get another one. Like you are the job. Yeah, no, definitely. And it's almost like a bad relationship, right? <laughs> a lot of people like go back into bad relationships because it's comfortable and it's like your identity, like you had mentioned. And that's how I felt as being a lineman. Now I can always go back to do line work, probably not with the company. I mean, I could, I'd have to move back to California, yeah. but I can go work like remotely or, you know, work out of state for a couple months and take a month off or whatever, which is a good option to have. But that one thing with the, <clears throat> You're, you feel connected to it. Like I worked for PG&E was the company I worked yeah. for. It's like, that's what you tell people. Oh, what do you do? I work for PG&E. Yes. It's like your identity. You yes. connect to that. You're a line. Oh, what are you, what are you? I'm a lineman. Right. And now that I don't have that, it's like, you almost feel sad, like a little bit like, um, like homesick or something, you know, yeah. as soon as it's gone because it's, it's out of there. So like that bad relationship, that's why people end up going back to it a lot of times because you might not like it while you're in it, but it's more comfortable than the new, than yeah. the new thing. <laughs> okay. This is so funny because you know, anybody that's gone through this is just like preach. Like, mm -hmm. it, you know, you feel it, you remember it. And, you know, coming from, I was my father mm -hmm. who, you know, you just saw out there and just got to walk around. Mm -hmm. um, we were just in an insurance meeting. I started up at an insurance brokerage firm uh, a couple of years ago after I'd already been in the hospital and everything. But he was an insurance salesman when I grew up. He worked for some insurance companies. Then he started a brokerage firm when I was a teenager. And I would go around to insurance meetings with him to small towns, right? We live in Idaho. It's yeah. just, everything's small. And <laughs> we would be driving for hours. And then I'd go sit in benefit meetings. And I'd be sitting in the front. And my job was if somebody got like a question right or something, I'd throw like a this softball or something like that out to him. And um, I would fall asleep in the meetings because it's so boring, mm -hmm. right? There's nothing more boring than insurance. And I'm a teenager, <laughs> right? So I'd fall asleep at the meetings and the people, you know, I'm across the state or whatnot. And one of the people would throw a softball at me because they were my relative, right? Because mm -hmm. I'm a sixth generation Idahoan. And so all of a sudden it's, it's when you start thinking about everything that you do and stuff, for me, it was so ingrained to who I was. Yeah. I didn't do anything else. I got out of college and I started working for Aflac, yeah. right? Like it was, that was all I knew. And then this idea that I'm not that guy anymore. I'm a self-storage guy, mm -hmm. right? And that's kind of how I became more known. I, I didn't change my like Instagram information, anything else, like any of my public persona, even though I wasn't doing that stuff, mm -hmm. it took years for me to change it. And um, that was pure mental. It didn't make any sense. There was no reason for it, mm -hmm. right? But all of a sudden, to be a, you're this guy now, not this guy. And I got, you know, I have four kids. I'm in, I'm in my 30s. This isn't like I was 23, yeah. right? Um, and I don't know, even saying it out loud, it's like, it's not that big of a deal. Why, you know, you should have just done it. And it's true, right? I, I should, it's but hard, though. It, it's hard. It is definitely hard. I it's mean, especially because you get comfortable. And then, like you said, you you start, you know, you buy a house, you have a couple of kids, yep. you got the recurrent bills, you buy a car, and you need a bigger car. And yes, uh, lifestyle the, creep is real. It's totally real. And then, like you mentioned earlier, one of the things is, uh, you know, I have enough cash flow from my properties to, like, cover our basic expenses. Um, but that doesn't cover, like, my startup costs, nope. my marketing costs. And then now I got to have insurance, which I, I thought about these things, but not clear, not fully, yeah, right? Because yeah, I was getting exactly. good paychecks yep. every two weeks. Uh huh. And then, so it's just something to, you know, think about that definitely comes into play uh, is just the extra expenses. And then another thing is like when you're home all the time, if you're working on the business, um, you know, you might not spend as much money when you're working for a job full time because you're at that job all the time. Yeah. Then all of a sudden you're not at that job all the time and you're like, oh, well, you know, the kids are going to go, they're bored. Let's go do this or yes. let's go do this. So we start yes. spending little extra things. And uh, that's what drives me, though, to like want to make more yes. and like get ahead because I hate one of my biggest things. And I'm been guilty of it forever is going to dinner and like not just looking at what I want, but then I like look at the prices. I freaking, I hate that. I so hate it. You know what I mean? And we don't even need to do it, yeah. but it's just ingrained in me from trying to save money to buy rental properties. And now that I left and our budget's smaller and all this stuff, it's like, let's get away from that. I just need to focus on like upward trajectory and yeah. going where I want to go, you know? No, I, <clears throat> I, I hear you a hundred percent. It's funny. Cause that's like one thing that I don't look at the prices when I go out to eat consciously mm -hmm. because I'm like, I no, I can afford the steak, but I also know if I look at the price, I'll inherently be like, you know, maybe I shouldn't do that. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. Right? And it's There's horrible. no reason for it. Yeah. So I'm always just like, don't look at it. Don't even look at the bill. Just give a tip and walk away. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> it's, it, once again, I don't want to have that feeling or anything else like that. No. But it that's a very important piece when starting out. Because when we got started out, right, I had a lot of opportunities, right? I think I had more opportunities than vastly everyone I know, mm-hmm. right? My dad was an insurance salesman. I followed in his footsteps. I understood it. And he was also my mentor, which is a huge leg up in life. It just is. Even though I'm not doing today what we did then, it set us up for the ability to do that. And it taught me how to be a good salesman. Mm-hmm. But at that same token, I only earned on in, on commissions. So I didn't get a paycheck. And it be, we had I had clients. And if one of them left me, my income would fluctuate massively. So even though me and my wife, we lived... Uh, we had a big income, we lived on a fraction of it because it, we were always, we didn't know. We just didn't know what would happen. And so, you know, I it's funny. I bet our first house or second house in, in Meridian over, over here, we bought the house. I had more cash in a bank account than the house was even worth. <laughs> yeah. And it still bothered me Yeah, because it was a liability. Mm-hmm. And it was this mentality that, Income changes, income fluctuates, right? So do we really need to go on a vacation this year? Should we use capital that way? And all of these things that are coming into that idea, but it also set me up well because that's how business works. So when you're getting a straight line paycheck, you're not worrying about the ebbs and flow of the revenues. Mm -hmm. The profits don't matter to you, right? So if you have a short year and they have to go get money from investors to float, whatever. Yeah. You got your paycheck coming in, right? Mm-hmm. So I think when I was in sales and I saw those revenue fluctuations and I knew my I was only guaranteed on what I could do, that was really, really useful for me. But then, too, once I got started investing and getting, like, set pay, I was like, there's some things I don't want to worry about anymore. I just yeah. don't want to think about it. I don't want to worry about losing 30% of my income this year. I don't want to worry about, you know, well, if we use this money, but yet we have a huge drop in income – are we going to be able to save for the kids' colleges? All that kind of crap that comes mm-hmm. with it. And I think this is, when you talk about financial freedom, this is more its more like freedom of mind. And it was a big change for me because we got to a point where we were making a lot of money. And I felt, and I went and I was talking to this guy and I was going, I was working like a dog. And that, that's generally true. I'm a workaholic. Yeah. I'm a workaholic because I love it. Right. This is my playground. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I got to go home kicking and screaming. Oh, fine. I'll go home. Right. You know, stuff. Uh, and my kids hang out with me at the office. So they <laughs> yeah. come on business trips with me because I love having them there. But when I was looking at this stuff and I'm like saying, okay, we've got all of these different um, assets that we're generating, right? And we've got all this kind of income and these fluctuations. I didn't want to have to not say no to my kids because I say no to my kids all the time, mm-hmm. right? But um, we say no in a different way. And it was this change of mindset and kind of what you were talking about. I wanted to say we don't need it, not we can't afford it. And me and my wife had to completely, I wanted to have, I wanted to have that option, Mm-hmm. where I didn't feel that we had that option or nor that protection before. Yeah. Um, and this transition from these different types of income sources and reliability, this mental change, it is very stressful mm-hmm. on your mental well-being. Um, it was, you know, sales for me was stressful as it is because, I once again, I didn't know 30% income could drop. So I resonate so well with you during this time. Yeah. And it's something that I feel that, People don't talk about. They just mm-hmm. don't talk about that mental state, and you need to be ready for it. Mm-hmm. And you need to know when is the time to pull the plug. When is the time to know that you need to do something else, right? And yeah. how to even judge that? Yeah, I mean, it's never going to be a good time. <laughs> you That's know what true. I mean? It's totally true because I had been planning on leaving the job for several years, and I actually had left twice before and mm-hmm. came right back, right? Like within yep. within a, within a year, I was right back to the same same position. Um, and so this time I just thought, okay, my oldest son, my stepson, he's going to, he's going in, he's in seventh grade this year, going to be in eighth grade next year. And I was like, man, I really would like to be moved before he gets into high school. Um, the economy was up and doing great right before COVID hit. So we're like, well, if anything's going to happen, might as well do it now. Right. Um, the, the funny part is as soon as you leave, like I just left, uh, you look back and 
you have this FOMO fear missing out. Yes. Because like, for example, doing line work, California's got a bunch of storms, tons of overtimes happening. <laughs> All my friends are like sending me these giant paycheck pictures, you know? And I'm just like, oh, well, I just spent 20 grand last month. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. You guys are making that. And uh, so it was like this fear missing out. But then at the same time, like I've made progress in other aspects of my, yes. my career. Like things have happened that wouldn't have happened if I was still there because I'm always engaged uh, in line work. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I can't take the time during the day if I'm climbing a pole to like get on a podcast or yep. uh, build my website or do these other little things. So, um, well, and that comes down to this idea of specializing and mm -hmm. it, uh, there was so much opportunity that I was just like you said, that I missed out that I would have never, I mean, you know, we're going to, this year alone, we'll probably double our real estate empire that we've, you know, been creating. Yeah. That would been impossible mm -hmm. to do impossible to ever even get close to that it would have been a passive side thing yeah well right? this is this is a good point is that the specializing thing if you're if anybody's out there stuck in one job like i was stuck in being a lineman that's all i knew so i actively like looked for different ways to like gain more skills outside of work so what did i do i like uh i started obviously listening to tons of podcasts but i wanted to start my own podcast because <clears throat> I wasn't good at talking. I was on a, a construction crew all day long or working by myself. So my social skills weren't very good. I literally, there was years where I worked seven days a week, like all the time. So I'm not around anybody. So I was like, well, how do I get better at talking? How do I get better at conversating with people? So let me start a podcast. So I started the podcast and then, um, how do I start learning, uh, you know, how to get where I want to go as far as rental portfolio or starting a real estate business. So I joined some masterminds and meetups and stuff to get around people that are like above me. Um, because I just didn't have anybody like that in my life at the time. So you have to, you have to go out and look where you want to go, like set a plan and then figure out what are little tiny things you can do to kind of like start moving in that direction and gain skills and then gain, uh, influence around you to like get there. That, okay. That is just <clears throat> absolute. I love that. Cause it is so key. I, you know, it's funny. I was even on Twitter today. I made, made a post. I was talking about the difference in how you set up, especially getting started. And it, it's all about changing your inputs. So how yeah. do you expect your output to change, your results to change, if the inputs are all the same? Totally, yeah. And this idea of changing who you're around, right? Like, you know, I kind of went overboard a long time ago on some of these things where I'm like, listen, stupidity is contagious. I can't hang around anybody that I view as not. And by stupidity, I don't mean they don't know a lot, but I mm -hmm. mean they don't have an open mind, yeah. right? They're not in a position to have, you know, they're stuck or not stuck once again by being financially or anything. That has nothing to do with my decisions. But I didn't want negative people. Mm -hmm. I didn't want the inputs to sour my output. And then once again, I'm like, I watch a TV. I'm, you know, just I need to start reading books. I need to start listening to podcasts. And just what you're talking about, changing those inputs, does something on the outside, and you start seeing opportunities mm -hmm. that you've never seen before. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. You get more creative as time comes. Yeah. I was telling my friends this. I was like, man, when I was at work. You know, I wanted to do all these different things, but I never could because my mind was so focused on one thing and I didn't even know how to go about it. But as soon as, you know, I don't want to tell people just quit your job and have nothing to yeah. do to get more creative. But at the same time, now that I'm home, I'm thinking my mind is getting more creative as days goes by. I'm sure you're reading a lot more, listening to yeah. a lot more stuff, looking at more deals. Yeah. Reading, looking at deals, like networking. researching um, how to do things, networking, like I'm here sitting with AJ yep. in his office, right? I yep. never would have done that if I was still climbing a power pole right now. Yep. Um, so those little things just make huge differences. The biggest thing is just like you have to do something. Yes. Like something needs to happen. And not that I have it figured out because obviously I don't. You know, I want to be making seven or eight figures a year or mm -hmm. worth $10, 20000000 million um, someday. Uh, and I definitely don't have that figured out yet, but I'm trying little things. I might go backwards a little bit, but I think one or two steps backwards might be beneficial to go more steps forward in the future. Yes. At least I hope. Anyways. It was for me. <laughs> yeah. Um, it appears to be. Yeah. yeah. It's great. And and I think though the idea was it's it's not that you're going step backwards, but it's that idea of shifting folk into a it's it's hard because some of the stuff takes a long time to play out. Mm -hmm. So like you were saying, you know, it's not just you, you know, quit your job and all of a sudden it's like opportunities flourish it's you know there's pain points in it but the mm -hmm. pain is what leads you to the understanding oh i need money to do this now i have to figure out how to make that money yeah right oh i need to find these kind of deals um how do i find these things i can't mm -hmm. invest unless i get this deal criteria for me 
but yet I don't know how to find these deals. So then you're going out and what you're doing is you're creating, as you go out and you're trying to solve these problems, you're creating processes to find the deals. You're creating a network to accomplish the goals. And it's that creation of this infrastructure and this foundation to achieve those goals that you can't do when you are working a full-time job, mm-hmm. right? At a certain scale, at yeah. a certain scale. Obviously, like you did, it's the perfect playbook, mm-hmm. right? I mean, us both. You're working full-time, you're investing on the side because that leads you to the opportunity that you have. Right. But uh, now you have all this time and ability to create all this that you can build off of. Yeah, no, totally. And, um, you know, it depends on where you're at in life too. Like if you yes. have kids or not have kids, it depends on how much you need to have so and how comfortable you can be taking the risks. And so I've always connected making steps forward to a dollar amount, but now I'm starting to learn that, you know, I'm making steps forward every day and I'm further along than mentally and like uh, business savvy wise or finding deals wise than I was when I was working there. But I might have to take a couple steps back financially, but luckily financially I can afford it. So maybe not tie progress to the dollar amount as much as the knowledge amount. Yeah. I think that's uh, what I'm trying to learn more you yeah know? and it, but along with that that's you know once again how i was due 50 mm-hmm. percent of my income was gone mm-hmm. and two it's exaggerated like we talked about right 50 percent of my income was gone but i still needed income to build out that infrastructure to build more mm-hmm. so it didn't just go down 50 percent, right it right. went down even more <clears throat> which made a change in lifestyle but it's that patience and understanding that it's really about investing. So I got 50% more time to invest in. Yeah. I got 50% uh, more opportunities now to uncover, which will pay off in hundreds and you know thousands percent later. Yeah. But it's going to take some time to develop those. Yeah. And, you know, I, I wanted to bring this up. One thing I did that kind of made it easier mentally, well, <clears throat> two things really, is that, you know, I sat down and I kind of thought, okay, if I stay at this job for 30 years, what is my pension going to look like? Like, don't really include my 401k, but just like, what does a pension look like, right? And I talked to people that are retired after however long, and they're getting maybe six or eight grand a month in their pension, not including their 401k and stuff. And I'm thinking, okay, well, at the time I was 30 years old and 33 now, and I was thinking, well, I already own like this 12 unit uh, apartments up in Idaho. If I hold those for the same amount of time that I have to stay here and work for 30 years, those are going to pay me more than the pension's going to pay me. Yep. So I was like, okay, why don't I just not sell them, just keep paying them down, right? Um, and then in 30 years, my backup plan, if all else fails, right, I'll at least have 15 grand a month coming in in 30 years paid off, you know, because they'll be paid off by that time and it'll be more than what my pension will pay me. So that's one move that kind of made it more comfortable for me, like down the road. Like if all else fails, I'll just have these apartments. And if that's all I ever have, at least it'll pay me you know, 150, 170 grand a year. And then two was I kind of invested in a couple different businesses, like as partnerships. And, uh, those are kind of, um, not guaranteed, but pretty, pretty secure. You know what I mean? To where they're going to pay me in the next year or two, like a significant amount. And so that kind of made it more like, okay, I can take this year off at least and focus on the new direction. Um, and it'll give me kind of a cushion down in two years. You know what I mean? To, uh, continue to support my family and do everything I need to do. Yeah. Um, so just like planning ahead. So, but that's an important piece. One of the things you said, it because as you're doing this, we all go, I think it's really important to go to the abyss. Like a lot of people say, oh, you know, positive thinking, you know, oh, just you can wake up and you can do it. I, I do not like that. <laughs> Me neither. Uh, because I'm like, you need to stare into the abyss yeah. and say, all right, that's hell. Mm-hmm. What's that look like? And you need to come to terms with it mm-hmm. so you can plan on not only avoiding it, but you can also understand every plausible scenario that may play out. That will help you build, and I believe that helps you grow. It's not about avoiding negative things. It's about facing them head on. And we did the same thing. It's like, if this fails, what happens? Mm-hmm. How does this look? And am I better off? And for us, I'm going, okay, I've got commissions that I'm making. I don't have a pension. Right? I have a 401k that I have to pay in, and I start listing all these things out, and I'm going, geez, I'm going to be working forever mm. because a lifestyle creep doesn't go down. That's not how it you works. hope it doesn't. Yeah. You, you want it to go up. <laughs> you want it to go up. And I'm like, with inflation and everything else like that, I'm going, my savings rate has to be astronomical. And then what kind of return am I getting on that savings rate? 
And all of a sudden, if you look at, you know, where the market's at today and everything, you're going, Jesus, 6% return on a million dollars. Am I going to be able to even live on that in 30 years? And the answer is, yeah, you probably could, but am I going to live on it in any way, shape or form that I actually want to live? Right. Right. And the answer is no. And if people are like, oh, that's $60,000 a year, you can't live on that. And you go, that's $60,000 a year today. Mm-hmm. In 30 years from now, that will be the equivalent of $30,000 a year today. Mm-hmm. It's not the same. And so when I started looking just like you were doing, I go, well, if I'm investing in this property, this one property alone will pay me more in retirement than if I saved a million dollars a year. Right. And it's all of a sudden going, yeah, I should just keep doing this. Yeah. And if it fails, I still have the assets. I still own them. I can always go get another job. Yeah, totally. I can always go back to work. And and another thing is, you know, I'm, I'm sure with your guys' storage unit company, you know, you take investors' money and people, I don't know if they have to be accredited or not accredited or whatever. Uh-huh. Yep. Um, <clears throat> but I bought into some of those too, some apartment syndications. And um, I was thinking, well, you know, they're going to pay me 8 to 10% a year. And then after they sell it, you get to participate in the upside and all that stuff. If I just keep those in those, the money I have in those, right, that like beats the Wall Street side. Yes. You get some tax advantages. You get yep. to participate in that upside. Um, that's like another 401k on the side, a yep. little savings thing. So that's another thing we did that was kind of thankful for that. And I think if somebody can't go out and get right into a big apartment complex or a big storage unit, especially right now, like returns are really low, prices are high. Well, returns are low for us small-time investors a lot of times, but for the big players, like maybe your company or like Ashcroft Capital, who I've invested with, they're still getting pretty good deals out there, right? Because they're buying big portfolios. So I think, uh, I mean, I kind of transitioned into like (laughs) what maybe people should think about, but um, doing that, investing in something like that, you can still get pretty good returns. The same as what you might get if you're buying your own property and you don't have to deal with all the headache. You know? Yeah, no, 100%. This isn't a plug for AJ's thing. I didn't even think about that, but, <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> it turns no, out to be. <laughs> no, you're right. There is advantages in high markets of scale, mm-hmm. right? And this is just an economic principle. It's mm-hmm. not anything out. But there's multiple um, options and alternatives. And one of the things that I like that you said was this idea of different sources of income. This was very important to me when I left. Um, when I left, I have a few other businesses, startups and real estate investments that we're doing. And I look at that and say, that's more secure than actually my job income is because it's a single source, right? But I wanted multiple sources because I needed to be able to fail, mm-hmm. right? And I needed to be able to fail and not go, geez, now I can't even get back in or whatever that may be. So not only is the the income that we were kind of talking about before important, but it's also the source of it. And I love that you said, listen, I'm hedging my bet. I have other people, right? And I have other deals. Then I have my deals. Then I have a different source of income. Maybe it's a business, Mm -hmm. right? On the side. That's exactly the same thing we did. And it was funny. People are like, why did you start up another brokerage firm? Right? Why did you do that if you got out of the insurance? That's why. Because I can't predict the future. Right. And I don't know how that's going to work. I knew how to do it. We could hire people. I could implement it. It's a lot of work up front. But then after the fact, I've got another source of income that's coming in and paying that we can grow that too. Mm-hmm. We can grow it organically. I can do mergers and, acquis- mergers and acquisitions and buy out small brokerage firms and bring them in. Um, but it hedges my bets, and it makes me more comfortable in the future, which will always go. I will always be hedging bets because I don't know what the future will ever play out. I don't know. Yeah. And one thing, though, is maybe you guys did, you're doing a bunch of, uh, excuse me, multiple different businesses, but you got really good at each one of them first. Oh, 100%. Right? As opposed yeah. to just going out and starting 10 different things no. at the same time. And it's like, it, well, it, you're it was never... second nature yeah. to do the brokerage. It was like, right. I, I could do it in my sleep. You're already good at the yes. brokerage and you kind of closed down, but you focused on storage unit for a long time. Yep. You, yep. that's all taking off on its own. Yes. You got a team running it. Now you can go different directions. So bingo. Um, I think in their investing thing, just like you're talking about, I don't, we only have done storage facilities for the only piece of real estate that I did in 12 years was storage. Yeah. Nothing else. Nothing. Yeah. Outside my like real primary resident or commercial real estate that we're utilizing, things like that. I mean, maybe a couple side things, but it was for us actively managing. It was just storage because mm-hmm. we had to, we wanted to become proficient at it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Um, I think 
one guy I listened to was really good. It was Ben Kenny talked about that. He's like a real estate real estate agent guy, but he's like, listen, you have to like focus on that one thing and like grow it as big as you can and get as good as it is then set a team in place. And then you can t- step aside, but yes. don't go and start 10 things at once because no. none of it's going to be good. Exactly. You know, and, and two, you know, one of the things about focusing in is the m- deeper you get, the more opportunity you see. Mm-hmm. And there's an inherent balancing act of risk and reward with focus. The, r- the risk starts to drop dramatically. Mm-hmm. when you're proficient, right? So when we started uh, investing in storage facilities, we would buy some deals and it was like, it'd make me a little nervous. I'm like, okay, I really hope this works out. I mean, everybody's saying it will and we think it is and everything like that, but um, you know, who knows, right? At the end of the day. Yeah. Uh, but we didn't, we'd learn everything. I don't even think twice. If I'm looking at numbers, if we're looking at markets and we understand it's a good deal, I just buy it. It's so much better. It's just, yeah. and we can find the better deals and I know the ones to avoid. And so that that changes your yield. Mm-hmm. So your risk is lowering, but your yield is going up. So it, it, those two things act inverse together the more you specialize in it. We make way more money on a storage facility today than we ever made when we were starting out. And when we were starting out, we were buying 10, 11 caps. Right. I don't even know, you know, you look back and you're like, that doesn't, it shouldn't be that way. Yeah. Right. So the cap rates have gone in half, yet we're still making more money on it than we were before. Um, it's this weird. Because you're more proficient. Yeah, You've got so exactly. much better at it over time. Um, <clears throat> I'm, I'm the same as far as like finding deals, right? Mm-hmm. Like I had no idea how to go out and like search the county records. I had no idea how to go out and, you know, identify undervalued properties, how to like run the numbers, you know, five years ago. But as mm-hmm. time has gone, now that I've left my job, I'm like doing that every day. So now I have all these different avenues, how to like identify distressed properties or distressed sellers. And I'm, you know, actively calling apartment owner lists, um, that sort of thing. You just get better at it when you're focused. So let's walk into that. How do you find good deals? Like what, how have you, what if, what's that transition that you're talking about? Like how have you gone from where you started to where you are now and turning this into an active business for yourself. You're now off your job. You got this active business. How are you finding deals? What is a good deal to you? I guess that's yeah. a great way to start. What's a good deal to you? Yeah. Uh, like what is your strategy? And then how do you go about finding these things? Yeah. Well, just a disclaimer, you know, I'm not already like buying hundreds of deals a year yet because I just started in this, but uh, how do I find the deals is, you know, I'm actively going on the county websites and here in Idaho, it's non-disclosure state for the, on the residential side. So I go down to the county, I pull a list of you know, uh, water liens and different things like that. Small things, uh, water shutoff lists. Um, you can find some like power shutoff list. If you really dig deep, you can find probate, all those typical things that you can find at the County. And then it's literally just getting on the, getting on there, either mailing them, skip tracing them, trying to call them. And I'm not doing like the wholesale thing, but I'm trying to find deals for myself for rental properties. So on apartments, when I'm buying, when I'm calling apartment owners, you know, I'm looking at when's the last time they raised their rents, um, what the local market rent is, is in the area. I have a few different property managers managers that I call, check rents for the area, get on Rentometer, um, these different programs, and then see if the market rent is below where it should be. So that gives you like an indication of, um, you know, value add potential. And then a lot of the people don't want to be landlords right now after COVID, you know what I mean? Some people, tenants aren't paying their bills. Um and they get kind of scared or they're getting older and they're like, I don't even want to deal with all the regulations that are coming now, whether you like Biden or hate them, you know, the real estate side is kind of going to probably take a hit. Um, so those are kind of the things I look for undervalued properties. I have bought out of state stuff before, um, but right now I'm trying to focus locally to where I can actually drive out, see them and try to meet with the owners and try to build a relationship with them first, as opposed to just calling out of nowhere say hey by the way will you take a million dollars for your two million dollar or you know offering them out of nowhere i kind of want to like meet them first and talk to them build rapport and then um work my way in how did you get into it you know how did you buy all these apartments and kind of build that relationship it's the exact strategy we use yeah which you know hopefully it'll pay off it's a slow grind Uh at first but you know you just got to get one and then get the next one um as far as single family houses i do buy single families and fix them up if they don't meet my rental criteria so that's just really buying distressed properties. It's pretty simple, you know? Yeah. Now, when uh, um, 
you, you, you mentioned skip tracing. Mm-hmm. Can you tell everybody, first of all, So because you, you're buying these lists, or not buying, you're getting these lists for these indicators mm-hmm. that are showing you where a house may be in distress, and then you skip trace. Will you explain what that means? Yeah, so skip tracing, I use, it's called skipgenie.com, but there's a bunch of them, batch skip tracing, there's Spokio skip tracing, there's all kinds, but I, I, I like skip genie. And so... Um, there's two things. One, you can get easy lists uh, with a couple of different programs like PropStream, for example, is a program that you can go in there and you can kind of look up absentee owner lists. You can look up seniors, put in different criteria for what you want the houses, how much equity they have. Um, or you can go more in detail about, <clears throat> you know, like I said, going to the county and finding water shutoff lists or um, probate liens and stuff like that. You get the list. Let's say you get a list of 500 addresses that have uh, a lien against the owner of the address. You take that address, you take that list, you put it into Skip Genie. And Skip Genie will search um, based on national background check criteria and give you all their phone numbers. And then you can just start calling the phone numbers or hire an assistant, a virtual assistant to call them. Or some people use texting. I don't do texting or any of that, but I just start calling the list of people and then just ask them, hey, you know, hey, this is Justin. I'm a local real estate investor. I'm buying houses in your neighborhood. If would you ever consider selling one, two, three main street? Oh no. Okay. Tell me to F off. Okay. Whatever they're going to tell yep. me, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But you got to go through it over time. Yeah. And eventually you just get people that do want to sell. I think they say as far as single family residential side, 10% of homeowners, about eight to 10% are in distressed situations or just don't want their house anymore for whatever reason, whether they're moving or, um, you know, they're in some financial hardship or they're just tired of being a landlord, eight to 10%. So you're just trying to find those people that don't want it anymore and offer them a fair price. Don't go in crazy low, but take out commissions, take out the work it needs, and then you can build in yourself that equity right there when you offer. It's awesome. And you're doing this um, obviously locally around because you want to be able to drive to them. Mm-hmm. But what about the management side? Are you self-managing right now? Um, well, if I buy single family houses, you know, most of them, the numbers don't really work right now. So I'll just sell them. My 12 units I do have, I do have a manager. Um, they are locally, you know, properties that I could manage myself, but she's great. And she charges me like three and a half percent. And she's been managing them since they were built in 1998 or, you know, early 2000s, long time. Um, so she's way better at it than I am. Uh, and you know, I'm a little too nice when people, when I've managed properties in the past, you know, I've had maybe six other rental properties that I've managed myself and people come to you and they have little issues like, oh, I'm sorry I got laid off or my dog died or whatever it is. I'm always like too nice and saying, okay, no problem. Just pay me when you get a chance or you can pay me payments. I'm like, I'm going to stop doing that. So my property manager, she's like, she's great. She's like, nope, it's late on this day, you 50 bucks and not. This might sound weird, but I love late fees because, <laughs> yeah. you know, it can make a difference. You know, they're yeah. one day late. They're going to be paying you 50 bucks a pop. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Stacks up. I have them. That's up. Her manage it all. <clears throat> uh, you know, I'm the same way. It was funny when we were looking even in real estate assets. So I'm like, you know, at the end of the day, I can't manage multifamily because I'm not going to kick out like a single mother and her kids. Yeah. I'm like, I'm just not going to. Yeah. And so I'm like, I will be horrible at that business. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, I can't, I, I, I can't, I can't do that. And I'm not saying that as if that, if you, that that's a bad thing, if you do or, or whatnot, that's not what I'm saying at all. Mm. I'm saying that's not who, like, I'm too weak and not following rules. I'm more like, you know, like you were talking about, I'm like, well, let's just see if we can take care of that or something here. I, that just doesn't work. It doesn't work in property management at all. Yeah. Um, I mean, have good morals in it though. You know, like you oh, don't 100%. want a property manager that's just kicking people out. No, that's for, ruthless. You know what I mean? But <clears throat> people do have to follow the rules. During COVID, we had a, I think I had only two people uh, that came and they were a little bit late. And so might waive the late fee or, yeah. you know, put set them up on a payment plan or something. But overall, you got to like enforce the rules that are set or else people it, just start taking advantage and brings the whole value of all your properties down. Yes. Especially if you have an apartment complex, you know, one bad tenant can kind of like bring down the whole value. Well, and two, I look at it like this within storage, you know, which is obviously a lot easier to say we're kicking you out and your junk out. But um, I looked at it and I, like I told all our managers, I'm like, it's not about him. It's about the rest of the tenants. Mm-hmm. So if we force all the tenants to pay on time and they do, and you're not letting one or you're letting one off or you're waiving late fees, 
every single person that you charged late fees to, mm-hmm. that is unfair and that is wrong. And they could have way bigger problems than that person did. So for me, I'm like, that it's nothing about them. It's about everybody else. We totally. got 600 of these tenants at this one store. Yeah. It's not about that person that's coming in and doing it. It's about being fair and equal to all of them. Yeah. Um, because they're all struggling, but they're making it happen. That's kind of how I've always had to look at that. It's not yeah. about the individual. It's about everybody. And if you and if you uh, explain it to them, the person that's in the hardship, hardship situation to say, I understand. I really want to help you out. Maybe we can help you out in some other way. But listen, it's not fair to all these other people. You know what I mean? Yes. I haven't let other people slide. I really want to help you, but let me help you some. Oh, Let's some figure other out way. how to get it done. Let's figure out exactly. how to get exactly. Let me help you get them for storage. Let me help you get a moving truck if you have to. Let yep. me help you figure out how to get this out of here. We we have people. Oh, I forget when it. Why don't you go on automatic payments? Yeah. And you know, there's there's ways that we can get around this. There's ways that we can avoid this. And two, this may not be the right place for you. So mm-hmm. why don't we help you go somewhere else? Yeah. yeah. Right. So I think that's no, that's a good approach. But property management on multifamily, I just couldn't do. <laughs> yeah. Not not for me. So I get totally. And two, you bring up an interesting point. I love when you said she's way better at it than me. Mm. Understanding where your strengths are and where you need help with in your business and having somebody. Yeah, you may not have to pay that three and a half percent, but what do you lose? Mm-hmm. Which I'm probably guessing it's going to be a lot more than three and a half percent. Well, she has, yeah, especially in this scenario, she has a reputation and she has a relationship with the tenants or the local area, you know, down where these units are it's by a military base. And so she's, uh, her husband, I think, was in the military. She's got a good relationship with the base and the housing housing authority and all that stuff. So um, if I was to lose her, then I wouldn't have all those ends. You know? Yes, so, exactly. Definitely. But it, this applies to business as well. You know, I've definitely found there's things in my business. I'm not good at my podcast. I'm not good at doing all the editing. So I hire somebody to like do the editing and all that part for me and posting yep. to social media and that sort of thing. And I'm not good in my real estate business always at, at talking, doing cold calls. So I hired somebody to do more of the cold calls for me and I'll do the follow up because I'm just not as good at it as they yeah. are, you know? So. Well, and I, I think there's a, uh, misinformation or this idea that entrepreneurs are out there and they can do everything, Mm -hmm. right? They're going to do it all. And if you can't do it all, you can't be an entrepreneur. That is so far from the truth, right? Like, you know, I've determined I'm very good at very little in life. Um, And I need a lot of help, right? And that's why we have a lot of staff, everything else like that. But um, success is always will be a team sport. Mm -hmm. Always. It will never not be. And you have to be able to identify these areas that you are causing your business to fail. Mm-hmm. Where are you bottlenecking your own success? Where are you holding yourself back, right? And I audit myself, right? So I'll, I'll literally get out and say, what are all the things that I'm doing in the day? Am I getting in somebody, one of my employees' business that they should be doing their better job at it for it, but I'm getting in there because I want to see something done or whatnot? Am I causing them to not be able to do their job? Micromanaging. Right? Am I micromanaging? Am I doing a function in the day-to-day process of getting a deal like you were just talking about or putting out content that is inhibiting my business, therefore making my business fail, all my employees fail around me because of me, mm-hmm. right? Being super realistic and taking that look in the mirror and saying, it's okay for you to suck at a lot of things mm-hmm. that, that has, there's, there's no, there is no correlation between you sucking at a lot of things and you being successful. Yeah. But we don't see that in society like it. We, we put entrepreneurs on pedestals and treat them like gods, you know, mm-hmm. like Elon Musk, it's, he's a genius, right? Like there's just nobody could do this or which granted, yeah, I agree. The guy's a rock star, right? Everybody wants him to be his best friend. He's just, the guy's amazing. But but do you know how many people and how many of the most amazing people in the world it takes to make those companies successful? Oh, yeah. Can You're talking thousands. tens of thousands yeah. of people mm-hmm. for all these companies. It is in, you know, it just doesn't work. Mm-hmm. You need to be able to create a team and create, uh, put people in place. And this is especially important, like when you're leaving your job and you're trying to build a business out of it, because your time has to be allocated to what you can do best. Mm-hmm. And you need to, the more time you can spend on what you can do best, the more you're going to grow your business. The more time you can spend on helping others be successful, whether that's farming it out for podcasts, social media, or anything like that. I always find that when I'm struggling and I'm not hitting goals and when I'm not getting to where I want to be, it's always like, oh, it's because of me. Yeah. And it's just because I'm getting in my way of myself. Well, it sounds like a lot right now for everybody listening. Like, 
doesn't just mean that you go out and hire a bunch of people, but it's no, like, it's no. like how you build a business, yeah. right? It's like one step at a time. You start doing it yourself, you know, a broker. Uh, you, yeah. And then you, then you hire the first person, you hire yeah. an assistant and then you get too much work and then you hire a second person, you hire a, you know, admin to do paperwork. Then you hire, or if you're starting a t-shirt company, I get, I would assume you just make a couple shirts, sell them, buy more, yep. <laughs> sell them, buy more, hire a person to make the shirts, to sell them, to buy more. It kind of just grows that way. So exactly. You definitely don't end up at when we started out, I was doing everything mm-hmm. right. It was me, my dad and my brother-in-law. And we were figuring out processing payments. What do we do when somebody doesn't pay? How do late fees work? Yeah. Right. I mean, it was literally everything, things that we should have never been doing. Mm -hmm. That doesn't matter because we had to do them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But then as you're moving along, as you found out, oh man, I'm really not good at this now. I should get somebody else to do it. Yeah. Right. And two, also, I'm not necessarily even talking about hiring people. Um, Once again, brokers were huge in us growing and, and becoming who we were because there was this expertise and knowledge of an industry that we didn't know anything about. Right. So you connecting to the brokers yeah. to bring you deals. So networking with them and networking, yeah. them, joining, uh, we joined a national co-op and, you know, we joined associations like you were saying before where we're going, I'm not good at certain things. I need help. Mm-hmm. Then eventually as you're growing, then you start paying for that help and bringing people in on full time. Yeah. Um, but I think a lot of people think that they need to do it themselves and they just stumble mm-hmm. and they're like, Oh, I can't do this. And the answer is always, of course you can't because you can't do everything. So get that out of the way. You're right. You yeah. can't do it. Move on now. Get it done. Yeah. Right. Definitely. And uh, I, I don't know. It's just something I find I'm always on my own way. Well, this is <laughs> one example before we move on to the next thing is uh, on your person in your personal life. You know, if you're at a, I've met, my wife is like super hardworking. Her whole family is like really hardworking and uh, when I when I've thought about the fact of bringing in like maybe a nanny or a house cleaner or something in the past, um, I, my wife's always that's crazy. And I've always been like, that's crazy. Why would you ever do that? But I have friends that have nannies and housekeepers and all those things. And what it does, though, is it like increases their overall happiness, because why would you want to be like my wife, for example? Why does she want to be stressed out all day at home, like always cleaning the house, always picking up after everybody, always having to do all these things? Then your relationship with your kids aren't as good. Your relationship with your husband's not as good. You can't go do as much fun time. So it's like leverage doesn't have to be in business. It can be in your personal life as well to like make your life overall happier. Um, so we haven't got a nanny or a housekeeper yet, but that's in the plans. Yeah. So we can like do extra things on the side to make us all happier and more cohesive family. No, I, I couldn't agree more. What, time is finite. Mm-hmm. So it's about spending time on what yields the best um, outcome mm-hmm. in your life in general. If you need a better relationship with your spouse, but yet you're not spending quality time with them weekly, how do you ever expect that to happen? Mm-hmm. Right? So leveraging the tools and things at your disposal and allocating certain things and you know what you're talking perfect things everything from maybe lawn care things like that right where i work a lot so for me you know going home and taking care of our old house a lot of lawn and trees everything else like that it didn't make sense it had nothing to do with the fact that i was lazy it was had to do with the fact that i was such a hard worker yeah and if i did that i'm like i'm now telling my kids that me trimming the grass, mowing the lawn, and trimming bushes is more important to me than spending time with you because I'm also working all day at work and mm. I'm traveling a lot. Yeah. Right? So it's it has nothing to do with being lazy. It has nothing to do with anything like that. It has to do with I have a certain amount of time. I should spend the time instead of mowing the lawn at work or with my kids yeah. because that's how I yield results. Right. Yep. And it's, uh, I worried about that for a long time when you were talking about these things. So I'm like, what message am, am I showing? Mm-hmm. Like, what message am I showing my kids? Right. And then I think it goes, my wife was like, don't worry. They're never going to not think that you're a hard worker because you're always gone at work. And I'm like, <laughs> that's a good point. Yeah. Right. And like, that is not a concern of mine. Mm-hmm. And so it's, and as the kids get older, obviously I have them do that. Right. Uh, you know, but they, but too, they also are starting up businesses, right? They're, they got, um, uh, um, shoot, a vending machine oh. and they're putting it, that out. Right. And they want to start online businesses and things. So 
then too, I come into question, do I say, no, you should spend time working on something that's not as important as your vending machine, right? But it's just this question of time and how you utilize it and what the best resources are and how you allocate that time. Yeah. And two, when I get the lawn care people, I'm helping out their company. I know the, you know, the guy that did it, I know it. He's got like 200 homes in the area. He's got a whole staff, everything else like that. They're better than I am. I'm helping lots and lots of jobs. Yeah. Right. So it's just a better system all around. Yeah. Yeah. And on the family point, it's like, that's an ever evolving, uh, you know, uh, ever evolving thing that you're trying to get better at. And I'm always trying to figure that out too. Like what I'm portraying to my kids, like what they see Am on my phone too much. Am I taking too many emails? Am I, you know, how am I responding to them? You know, that's a definitely a battle in my house and oh, or with geez. me personally. I'm like 100%. every single day I'm thinking about it. You know what yeah. I mean? So I'm like, we've been looking at trying to get, you know, I'm like, okay, I need to probably just leave my phone mm-hmm. in the car or something like that um, where I'm not taking it in because of the, it, it's not the same if you're with kids and you're on the phone, obviously you're yeah. not allocating attention to them. Um, and that is such yeah. I, I mean, I don't really, you know, we kind of got off of this topic, but it's just so true. Yeah. And I got four kids. And so it's like, really got to look through this and I really got to think about them and how I'm raising them and how they are perceiving me. Are they perceiving me as working or does it look like I'm just on the phone? Right. Is that playing games or you know what I mean? Yeah. So no, those are really important topics. And it too, once again, it's important topics when you're talking about transitioning your life over to where you're at now. Mm-hmm. How you utilize time and time management is one of the most important things as an entrepreneur. When you're at work, there's a schedule. You have to do certain things. You have to get it done. And the output is only in regards to how much they're yielding out of you. They already have other people to do other job functions, even if you were better at them, right? It's like, no, this is your job. We need to maximize your output on this function. When you're on your own, it's not like that. Mm-mm. There's all these functions. You got to figure out what's the best use of time and how you maximize that and yield that. Yeah. It's a really, really important piece yeah, to going been, out on your own. That's been my toughest challenge so far. Like I've mentioned to you when I came in here, like the time difference and the kids and we just had a new baby, all this stuff is like managing the time is yes. definitely uh, my biggest struggle right now. So yeah. it's a work in progress. It is. It really yeah. is. And it, and it always is. And that's how investing is because two you know, is you're finding out the investing game changes. Mm-hmm. Like what I did 10 years ago, I don't do today to find deals. Yeah. I don't. Yeah. It's just, it, it, it adapts, changes. I'm not, your storage facility is, uh, industry has been, you know, discovered, so to speak. I, you, I'm not going out and finding 12 caps. Yeah. So now the deals that I look for have different criteria than I did before because the yield I have to get in a different way. Mm-hmm. So you know, as time changes, you have to be ready for that and you have to be ready to be adaptable to those situations, right? When you got started five years ago, the market couldn't be more different mm-hmm. just in five years. I know. Yeah. I remember five years ago, people saying, oh, it's at the top of the market. And then I interview people on my show that are just getting into it now and they're finding great deals. And they're like, you know, some people say it's crazy, but at the same time, like, I think as long as the numbers make sense now, then doesn't really matter if your million dollar property goes to zero on paper as long as it's still making its money and it's cash flow because eventually it's it's likely yeah. going to be at least worth what you bought it for right yep so i no no i'm the same way i say a good deal makes uh, a good deal makes sense in down markets up markets sideways markets because a good deal is a good deal mm-hmm. and uh, that's how we've always approached our business so people are like oh are you still buying yeah but i'm always buying yeah that doesn't stop because yeah. I'm looking for cash flow and yield. Now, what may change is the amount of opportunity I can find to get those results. Mm-hmm. But it does not in any way, shape, or form mean I, I, you know, I'm not trying to time markets. I think one of the greatest mistakes that millennials had was after the Great Recession and house housing prices went up 15% after they'd lost 50%. Everybody's like, oh, I'm just going to wait for housing prices to go back down in the next recession. Yeah. That was that was and always will be a loser's game. Mm-hmm. There's only a f- handful of years in our entire history where housing prices, right, have made a fluctuation like that that you could take advantage of. And to think that you can time that in three lifetimes is ridiculous. <laughs> I'm guilty of that myself. I didn't buy as many as I should probably because I was like, well, I think I just want to have extra cash right now. You know, I did buy some stuff, but... Like I said at the beginning of the show, you know, some people went 10 times farther, 100 times farther than I did in the same amount of time. Um, 
partly because of that reason. And it's like, it's a mental thing, man. It's a mental thing, yeah. You're, you're, you're gotta always try to grow your mind and my mind's always being pushed to, to the limits as far as like expanding my horizons. And I'm just working on it all the time because yeah. I got caught up I, in that too. I know huge <clears throat> operators, dude, huge mm-hmm. operators. They sold, they sold, you know, 10, 12 facilities three years ago. Um, and these, I mean, you're talking about facilities that are worth 10 million a piece. And they sold them off because they're just like, ah, oh, this can't continue. It's never been more aggressive in self-storage. And prices have only gone up since then. The amount of loss that they took on that was incredible mm-hmm. for not having. And they didn't put their money to work. So now they have the capital and they need a significant drop to even get back to where they were. Right? right. I'm not saying it can't happen. Right. But I'm saying that is a really dangerous game to play because also if it doesn't if you don't have this massive drop which i you know i just don't foresee that because that's not how those assets are valued right mm-hmm. it's on a cash flow basis they're increasing rents so revenues are actually rising and have been rising which causes the value to rise but if that doesn't happen and now they want to get back in the game they're paying a premium for the exact same product that they sold mm-hmm. so the spread between what they sold it at and what they got it now their yield has shrunk shrunk dramatically Timing markets to me, I, I just, I can't do it. So uh, it's hard. How do people kind of uh, adjust that as far as, because there was a time in 2006 and seven where- You should not have been buying. You should not have been buying. Yeah. So how do we know when not to buy? So it's funny because we stopped buying after 2005. Mm-hmm. We bought nothing till 2010. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a five-year period where we didn't buy. And we had no idea there was a market collapse. I had no idea there was a bubble. I'm not that smart. We had no clue, but our money told us. So the money told us because deals didn't yield anything. Mm -hmm. So when I'm looking at it and I'm going, I don't understand this. All my friends and people are getting rich on real estate, but I don't know how they're getting rich because I'm looking at this fourplex saying, I'm going to lose $200 a month on this. Mm -hmm. And they're like, yeah, but you make it up on the backside. And I'm like, what backside? Like yeah. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't understand this idea of appreciation and that they were taking debt to get the, that appreciation, appreciation out. Mm-hmm. Right. It sounds simple, but I was an idiot and I didn't even get it. Yeah. Right? I didn't understand where their money was coming from. So we just didn't buy. And my money tells me when I should buy and my money tells me when I should not. A deal is a deal and a down market and up market. And if I would have bought a deal in 2007 that was giving me a 15% return, it would have still been a good day to deal today. It would have been a good day deal in 09. That would have not changed mm-hmm. through that entire cycle. Yeah. I just wasn't good at finding any. Yeah. And so I didn't really know what I was doing. And I think that's how you avoid it. You look at the fundamentals, mm-hmm. right? Are the fundamentals sound? Are you making money? Are you making a return? Is the return stable, right? It's not bloated for some reason or made up, yeah. right? Is it actual good market? Is there plenty of good demand? Who's renting, and, right? It's all about the fundamentals to me yeah. and all about the return that you're getting off your money. And don't like, I think where you also get in trouble is the short term. That's where everybody gets caught oh, I have to sell it in a certain period of time. Or um, if I don't sell this, I don't make money. Now you're timing anyways, because that's the strategy. So of course, if the market turns on you, you're in trouble. Yeah, but yeah. I don't time, I don't, I don't do that. I, I get, I'm a cash flow investor long-term where I focus on changing the fundamentals of the asset, i.e. in adding products, increasing um, revenues to change the value, mm-hmm. not the market, mm-hmm. but what I do to it that will change the value. Totally. And I, I think just, that's a long-term game that works. I just had a, uh, real quick, I just had a short um, <clears throat> lesson in this that I need to stick to real estate and not like stock market or day trading. Because Dude, GameStop's if, going to if, the moon, if, man. Okay, I don't so, know what you're talking about. Yeah, it's going to the moon. <laughs> Read Reddit. And so anyways, I just happened to buy like, not that much, six grand worth of AMC stock yeah. like two weeks ago. So right? you made like a, a killing. It was like three bucks, yeah. right? And I was like, okay, but not an assumption of anything going crazy. Yes. Then all of a sudden, like literally just out of lucky, I look at it and it's a $20 a share. I'm like, oh, sell it. So I made like 25, 24 grand on yeah. $6,000 investment. Yep. What does my smart guy do? I'm like, oh, I think I can play this more. Let me like <laughs> watch it d- daily, right? So yes. I'm like buying and selling and trying to like make that 24 grand go up to 30 grand. I lost five or six grand of that profit, right? Yep. And now I'm just like, I sold it all, and I'm just like, okay, I need to stick to real estate. This yes. is great. I got lucky. Yep, got I'm, lucky. I made Take twenty it. grand. Let's just stick it. <laughs> and so that's a perfect example of like stick to your lane and don't just bet on the appreciation. Yes, 
look at the fundamentals and why it's actually going up. And that's uh, why uh, I don't yeah, do stocks. And I tell people appreciation is valuable. It's a great wealth building tool, but it's a cherry on top. Mm -hmm. It's not the cake. Yeah. And if that's what you expect to make it, if you expect your chocolate cake to be made out of cherries, you're going to be very disappointed. Yeah. Right. It just <laughs> yeah. doesn't work that way. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and it, obviously, you know, equity and everything else like that, it's made us massive amounts of money because over the long one, we've refinanced, we've taken that equity out mm -hmm. and we've reapplied that in. So I, it's not that I'm saying we don't use it anything like that. That's not true at all, but we don't buy off of it. And the equity we believe is created by our own works, not markets. So it doesn't mean I'm going to get an equity trap where I refinance and now I have, I'm over leveraged and the market turns and I can no longer pay those debts. Right, I still have a 70, uh, 30, I have 30% down. We refinance when all of a sudden our debt to equity or you know, really our debt to income level is so skewed that mm -hmm. now it's like we have 40% debt on the property. Well, we'll refinance to keep us at that 30, 70 and we use that money to reinvest into cash flowing assets, mm -hmm. not buy cars. We're not going out and doing things like that, that you saw everybody doing and you know, 2006 and five and seven, um, it's how you utilize it. And I think that's really how you just, it's, it's fundamentals. Like mm -hmm. I wish I was like really smart and I could be like a hedge Me fund too. manager and say, <laughs> oh, you know, you play the tops and you hit the bottoms and you execute it. You'll make a quick 500,000. But I just don't, that's just not how it works for me. me I think we hear all the great success stories with that, but you never hear all these guys that get just decimated in it. Social media is like easy to get caught up in all the other people's success, right? Yeah. Oh, like, show that check. Made $100,000 today, yeah. right? And things yeah. like that. And I'm like, wow, it takes me a long time. You made that in two days? I'm like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? but that's a one-off for them or whatever, Bingo. you know, so. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So, no. Well, hey, man, um, I'm hungry. Let's go get some lunch. Yeah. Uh, uh, thanks for coming on here, dude. This was awesome. Happy to have you. I'm excited to have you in our area. So we get to do an in-person one too. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, we'll follow back up with you and see how how you're building your empires going and, and where you're at. Right where, where can people get a hold of you? Where can people find you, reach out to you? Yeah, I guess the best place really is just uh, um, Instagram, justin.hannah, H-A-N-N-A-H, 365. Um, I'm real on there. I can respond to messages all the time. That's the best place to get a hold of me. Right and on. the podcast, Real Estate Investing 365 Podcast. And we'll have both of those in the show notes, so um, you can check it out. All right, thanks, man. Thanks. See ya.